Turn your Bibles with us to Psalms chapter 106. I want to read some verses of scripture there. Psalms 106, verse 28 through 31. By the way, if you don't have an outline of the message, we want you to have one. Please raise your hand and Brother Stephen, make sure that you get one, if you will. Psalms 106. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger, God that was, with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened. And the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. For the last several weeks, we've been on the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and also the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. And we find out when a person, when an individual receives a baptism, when a person is saved, they receive the Spirit of God. By the way, when you receive the Spirit of God and you're born again, you're ready for heaven. Amen? You're a candidate for heaven. You're part of the family of God. And we believe here that there is an experience subsequent to receiving Christ and receiving the Spirit of God, and that is what we call and what the Bible calls throughout the book of Acts and Paul's writings, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as a person continues to serve God, live for the Lord, and receives this wonderful experience, they have a new power to witness. They have a new pursuit for growth in the Word of God. They have a new potency in prayer And last, they have a new passion for worship. So when I looked at all of these, I thought, my, a new power for service and for witnessing, a new uh, pursuit and desire and drive for the word of God, a new potency and and zeal for for God in prayer, and a new passion for worship. All of these speak of a zeal for God. A passion for God. And if you notice the outline, a zeal for God. And we want to read also, if you will, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, God desires that his people be zealous. Everyone is zealous about something. All people have an innate desire to be passionate. I'm not talking about romantic passion, but rather a passion for life and a desire for purpose. We're passionate about work, and so we strive to succeed. We're passionate about possessions, and so we strive to have more. We're passionate about our sports teams. 
And so we yell and scream and cheer on those that we support. Think of this as we write in the introduction. We always have enough time, enough energy, enough money for those things about which we are passionate. The real question as we go through this sermon today is, are we passionate about that which is most important? Are we passionate about God? Are we passionate about the glory of God? And then I began to look in the Bible and I looked at men and those in the Bible that had passion. First of all, think of David. David was a passionate young man. And as he went out to fight Goliath, listen to what he says. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, David says to the Philistine, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, then all of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And notice verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. I would say that this young lad was very passionate when it come to defending the glory and the honor of God. Wouldn't you say that? And of course we know this great story ended with the Philistine losing his head, the armies of the Philistines being defeated, and Israel certainly experiencing uh, victory. Not only was David passionate, but Caleb was passionate. Maybe some of us have never heard of Caleb. Caleb was a man that was with Joshua and Moses as they went over and crossed the Red Sea, went into the promised land after that Moses had died and they had this, these three million people had gone, gone into Canaan land. The uh, property, the land was distributed and here it was time for Caleb. And Caleb said to Joshua, give me this mountain. Notice what he says. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Caleb says in verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the uh, Amalekites were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord says. Wow. He wasn't a young man as far as we're concerned. He was 85 years old. And he was saying to Joshua, I'm just as strong now. I have just as much much zeal now. I have just as much passion now. I have just as much strength now. And if you'll give me this mountain, the enemy possesses his mountain, I'll conquer them and I'll have this possession. And that's what we should say to God. God, you give me a mountain. 
You give me property. You give me an area to possess. The devil's tried to take my children, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to have this mountain. The devil's trying to take the church today, but we need to stand up and say, we're going to take this mountain. Do we have enough zeal? Are we passionate enough about it? I looked at the apostles and how zealous they were. In fact, most of them lost their life because they had that zeal for Christ. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, you remember him? He was an honorable man. He was a leader in the community. He was a rich man. He was very short and he wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see him because of his statue. So he ran before the Lord, climbed up in a sycamore tree. I would think he's passionate, wouldn't you? I would think he's zealous. And he got to see Jesus and invite him to his house because of that great passion. Paul was a man with passion. Festus looked at Paul and said, Paul, in fact, Festus screamed out, said, Paul, you're mad. Because he was so zealous for the Lord. Jesus in John 2, 17, we find that the zeal, the zeal for your house consumes me. You know when that was spoken? When Jesus took and made a whip, went into the church and ran out the money changers. When you say he was passionate, beat up on the folks that were abusing and misusing the house of the Lord. And he said, that zeal has eaten me up. One translation says it's consumed me. I pray that we as the church could be so on fire for God that we would have the passion like a David, like a Caleb, like a Paul, like Jesus Christ, like Martin Luther, like Martin Luther King. These men had passion and it drove them and they did everything they could to show forth that passion. But let me tell you about a man that had passion that maybe you've never heard of. Phinehas. Phinehas. And Psalms here, 106, records it, but the happening took place in Numbers chapter 25. Numbers records Israel's wilderness wanderings. Most of us know of how this nation Israel wandered and wandered for so many years. And they were in the wilderness. But now it's about time for them to go into the promised land. And they're outside the Transjordan camp, ready to go into the promised land. But there, are the, there is the enemy and there are the Moabites, a nation of evil people, of strong people. But the king of Moab, his name was Balak, asked this man by the name of Balaam, which was a professional magician. He was a professional sorcerer. And some said a prophet. And so Balak, the king of Moab, goes to Balaam and he says to him, I want you to curse Israel because I'm afraid of them. 
And they've conquered all the nations that they've come up against because their God is with them. And so Balaam, would you curse them? And so chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24 of Numbers, it's recorded of this great conversation and all that went on with this man, Balaam. In fact, there's quite a bit said in the New Testament about this so-called prophet. Because he goes over, first of all, God says, don't go. You're not going to do this, Balaam, because these are my people. And so Balak says to Balaam, I'll pay you good if you'll come. And so he became a prophet for hire. And he eventually, God says, eventually you can go. But then he's on this donkey. And this donkey can speak clear Hebrew. (laughs) And he starts talking to Balaam. After that, I'm just amazed that God took one of the dumbest animals in the world and made it speak. God can do anything he wants to, but he instructed Balaam on what to do and what not to do. And so when Balaam got into the presence of this king of Moab, Balak, Balak said to Balaam, I want you to curse Israel. Balaam says, I can't curse who God blesses. I mean, you know, that's good. Can't curse the person or the people or the church that God has blessed. And so he goes out and he begins to bless them. He doesn't curse them, but blesses them. Made Balak angry. Balak became very uh, angry and said to him, you're not going to get any money. And he sends him on his way. Well, as Balaam is on his way, he thought of something. He said, well, I want to get paid. I, I'm, I'm, I want all this money. And so he thought how he could deceive Israel and defeat Israel. So he goes back to Balak and he says to Balak, I can't curse Israel, but if you will entice Israel with your women, if you'll entice them with two things, Sex and idolatry. Sounds like today, doesn't it? And so what happened, the prostitutes, the women went out and started inviting the Israelites to come up to Peor, up to this mountain. And there was the orgies and all the immoralities that went on and all the false worship that went on. Let me read you a little bit of what it says about it. It says, now Israel remained at Achaia Grove or in Achaia Grove and the people began to commit holotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So here they come and ate food that was dedicated to dead people which God had said they were not supposed to do, and then they bowed down to their God. So Israel joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, now God was very angry because of this uh, idolatry worship and because of this uh, immorality that Israel was committing. Notice what he did. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. God is going to punish it. You see, sin is punished by God. 
And if we allow sin to reign in our lives, we will pay the consequences. And so here we find that the Lord says, and indeed, one of, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now follow me. Stay with me. This is one of the most interesting stories. Most of us have heard uh, uh, Phinehas all of our life. But there were three Phinehases in the Bible. One of them was the son of Eli, the, the priest. And he was evil. There were two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas. And they committed wrong and they died because they were so evil. The preacher's son. Somebody said the preacher's children are always the one that's in trouble. They're always the mean ones. One of them said it's because they play with the deacon's sons, but I don't know. <laughs> but that's not the Phinehas I'm talking about. I'm talking about an entirely different person. This was another uh, son of a priest. In fact, Aaron was the priest. Eleazar was his son. And now we have Phinehas, his son. So he was the grandson of Aaron, the high priest. And uh, he's quite interesting. He's quite zealous. But notice what happens in this story. Every one of you, I'm going to read this again, kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle. So there was, a, there was a, an Israelite that took a Moabitish woman of Midian and took her right into the congregation right before Moses right while the people were weeping because of the, of, of the killing of their family, because of their disobedience. And he went into his tent and committed an awful act. Such brazen, and we find that today with people in sin. But notice what happened to this man. When, now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Notice this, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous for my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now, 
I want you to know it's the latter part of your outline. First of all, the lessons that we learn. The source of godly zeal is in is the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Paul writing to Timothy says, I remind you to kindle afresh, continually keep fanning it full flame, the spiritual gift of God which is in you. God desires that we have excitement, enthusiasm, passion about what we do for him. Somehow I feel like the church has lost its zeal and passion for God. We're zealous about everything else. But it's important to know the most important thing is the things and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Godly zeal has its seat in the heart. The Lord said in Revelation concerning the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. Let me ask you something. On a scale from one to 10, what was your passion when you first got saved? How zealous were you for God? You remember that day when you received Christ as your personal Savior? You remember how exciting you were? Wow. Being saved, knowing Jesus Christ is an exciting thing. I was more excited than when I got married. And I was excited when I got married. I was more excited than buying a new home. In other words, when you get to know Jesus Christ, it's exciting. On a scale of, and I was nine years old, on a scale from one to 10, mine was about 11. I was excited about knowing Jesus Christ. What was your excitement? Let me ask you this. Today, on a scale from one to 10, How much passion do you have for the kingdom of God? Boy, I thought about that this week and I said, Lord, have mercy. Help us, Jesus. Rekindle the fire. Stoke the fire again. Refill us with the Holy Spirit. Let us once again have the same passion for lost souls that we did when we first got saved. May we once again have the same passion and zeal for Church attendance as we did when we first got saved. We went to church all the time and enjoyed it. Church attendance wasn't an option. We wanted to go to church. We wanted to tell somebody about Jesus. We wanted to read our Bibles. We wanted to pray. And we prayed with fervency. Oh, God. You remember those days? I do. Do you pray with fervency today? Is it something you're yawning during your prayer time and just laid back and maybe you'll get a prayer through? Or are we touched and so concerned about the lost until we sometimes weep? Say, God save my loved ones. God save the unsaved. God touch this man, touch this woman. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and the Bible says he wept over Jerusalem. He cried out and wept over Jerusalem. Daniel was so concerned about Israel while he was in Babylon, he wept and cried and cried out for the sins of the nation of Israel. God move us today. The object of zeal is good works. 
How did you treat people that you didn't love when you first got saved? You loved them, reached out to them. You wanted to do things for them. God stir us once again with that same passion. We are passionate about what we are interested in and what we value. Amen? Ask grandparents, are they excited about their grandchildren? Yes. There's a lot of things we're excited about. Ask Duke fans sitting here today, are they excited about Duke basketball? I know. Ask Carolina fans, state fans, are they excited about their team? We, you know, we, we, we show that expression, we express that excitement. Do we express that excitement today about Jesus Christ? Could we get as excited over Jesus as we do our sports team? But you know, it's played down to the excitement in church. You're supposed to go to church and be so serene and so laid back. and Don't disturb anyone. Don't get excited. The brothers of Jesus thought he was mad. They looked at him and said, he's mad, he's crazy. Why? Because he showed so much concern for the lost and those that were on their way to hell. God help us today. We're excited about what we're interested in. We give money, we give time, we give effort about the very things that we're interested in and the very things that we value. What do you value today? Evidently, you value church because you're here this morning. God help us in our excitement. Don't be afraid to go against culture to proclaim the holiness of God. Phinehas said, listen, you're brazen in bringing that ungodly woman right here to the weeping of these people. If you're that brazen, I'm going to be brazen enough to take you out. Now, God's not asking us to kill people today. That's not what he's saying. But God is asking for the church to get angry, righteous indignation about sin and stand up and say, not here. Megyn Kelly was interviewing the lieutenant governor for Texas this week. He was talking about how he did not want his granddaughter going in the bathroom with a man coming in and she said, Megan Kelly, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? And that's what the world is asking us today. So what if I drink alcohol? What's wrong with that? So what if, if we practice homosexuality? What's wrong with that? You folks need to line up. You need to be politically correct and, and get right. So what if I'm on drugs? What's wrong with that? So what if I live with someone before I marry them? What's, what's wrong with that? That's what the world is asking. And that's what we face every day of our life in this culture. And we need to listen. We need to show love. We need to be kind. We need to express the love of Jesus Christ for the lost. And as I said, show kindness. But there's a time to stand up and say, no more. 
I come against you spirit of demonic activity. And that's what it is. And we need the church to stand up and be passionate to the point that we'll stand against the wiles of the devil. It's a good place to pray. We are desperate for a people to be raised up who will walk in the spirit of Phinehas. Their passionate love for God and burning hatred for sin caused them to stand like an unwavering beacon of morality in the midst of a culture that is so dark. Give us some young men and some young women that says, I don't care how many is doing this. I don't care how many is involved in this activity. I'm not going to be there. I'm not going. I'm not going to be part of what's going on in the world today, but I'm going to abstain and keep myself pure. You don't hear that much anymore, but it's true. It is what we need today. So as Sister Judy comes to the piano, let me close with this. The devil may try to curse you and he can't do that. He may try his best to hurt you. Oh, he can afflict us sometimes and cause things to happen in our family, in our home. But the devil can only do what God allows him to do. But there's one thing that the church needs to understand. We'll never be destroyed from the outside. Nobody can curse what God has blessed. But the one thing that Israel did, they were enticed and they were seduced. And they committed whoredom. They committed uh, sin and serving false gods. And that day, listen to this, when Moses told the leaders of each tribe, of the 12 tribes of Israel, he told those leaders, he said, these men that have committed these awful sins, I want you to kill them. And that day, 24,000 men died because of the sin. Now, God's not going to kill us physically. But something in us dies. Something in us leaves us. That that good part, that part that's wholesome and holy and forthright and righteousness. We lose that. When this man committed this awful act, brought this Midianite woman right into the very congregation of the people, he said no more. So he takes a javelin and he goes into the tent and impels them and they both die. You might say, well, that's an awful thing. God didn't think so. He said, let me tell you what Phinehas or let me tell you what Phinehas has done. He has stayed the plague that's to come up, that was to come upon Israel. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness one more time. Now you'll understand Psalms 106 better. They joined themselves unto the bale of Peor. They ate sacrifices and made the, that was made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds. And the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened. And the plague was stopped. 
Let me make this a little bit more spiritual for us today. You and I have a plague against us. But Jesus was impaled on the cross and took my sin and your sin. And when the devil comes against you to try to destroy you, the hand of God will say, "Uh uh-uh, the price has been paid for him. The price has been paid for her. You can't touch that soul because of what Jesus Christ did for us. I thank God that he's forgiven us. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you stood up and said, Lord, I I know I need a Savior. I know I'm lost. I want the Lord to take me, to cleanse me, set me free. Set me free from all this bondage. You know, people think when they live the life that they want to and they're free to do what they want to, that it's an enjoyable life. Let me tell you what. It brings you right into bondage. And destroys the very God part that God wants you to have. But if you'll come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm tired of this sin life. I'm tired of the struggle that I'm having in my life. I want you to forgive me. I want you to cleanse me and set me free. He'll set you as free as as anything in the world. God wants to set you free today. If you'll just believe it and accept it. Let us pray. Father, first of all, I thank you because of your word. I thank you because of men like Phinehas that will dare to take a stand for right and righteousness. I thank you, Lord, because there is a way to stop the plague. There is a way to stop sin. There is a way to victory. But it takes obedience. It takes a real deep down passion in us. And I pray that you restore that passion to the church today. Let us look on the sinner with weeping, with care, concern. Let us look on the sinner prayerfully. Let us, dear God, look at what's happening to the church And how it's compromising in such a way today. And may we look on it with concern. May we be like Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. May we look at the the sins of Durham. The murder rate. The prostitution. Lord, the greed. All that goes on in this city. And Lord, we pray over it today. We weep over it today. And we believe you to touch this city. And then God, our families, our moms, our dads, our sons, our daughters, may we be so concerned about our lost loved ones until we'll spend time before you that we'll weep and cry and cry out to you. 